We're coming together for the reading of the word of God. This is why we're here. We're here because we're coming to engage with God, starting off our day. For some of you, you're ending your day, um, but you're you're putting some time aside to spend it in the reading of the word. For those of you who are here for the first time and you're wondering, what is it that we're doing here? This is the, this is the read and rant. We're going to spend 20 minutes reading uh, the scriptures, and then we're going to spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on the scriptures. Um, this is our time where we're prayerfully asking God, uh, what is he speaking to us today through his word? We want to see the word come into us, take root in us, but we want to see the word really reveal to us what God is saying to us. The Holy Spirit can give revelation even through the reading of the word. So to do that, we're in a season where we're, we're dredging out from the text what God is saying and what God is revealing concerning himself. Remember, this scripture was meant to reveal. He's meant he, he wants to have relationship with us. And so he uses his word to reveal himself to us. And so the three questions that we're going to ask today is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question we're going to ask is what God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is God, what are you revealing concerning me? Those are three questions that we're going to ask and we're going to dig right in. We've been journeying through the scriptures. We're in first Kings. Now we've read through the entire new Testament and we're journeying through the entire old Testament. And here we are now in first Kings chapter nine, father, we just ask that you would be with us today. Lord, as we engage in your word, Lord, I just pray. Lord, that you would give us revelation today, Lord. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, today. As we hear your word, Lord, let us be encouraged by your word. Let us be empowered by your word. Let us be inspired by your word. Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would visit each and every one of us, all of us who have come together in this moment from different places all around the world at different time zones, Father, that you would bring us together, Lord God to receive something afresh, something anew. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. First Kings chapter nine, verse one. And it says this, and it came to pass when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I've consecrated this house, which you have put to built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, if you walk before me as your father, David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land, which I have given them. And this house, which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all people. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and will hiss and say, 
why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will answer because they forsook the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, who embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this calamity on them. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyr, had supplied Solomon with the cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. The king Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Uh, verse 10, and it says this. Now it happened at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, Hiram, the king of Tyr, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. The king Solomon then gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. Then Hiram went from Tyr to see the cities which Solomon had given him, but they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. Then Hiram sent the king 120 talents of gold. And this is the reason for the labor force which Solomon, which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and had given it as a dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon built Gezer, Lower Beth Haran, Baalith, and Tadmor in the wilderness, in the land of Judah. All the store cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely. From these, Solomon raised, raised labor force as it is to this day. But the children of Israel were not made forced laborers because they were men of war and his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots and his cavalry. Others were chiefs of the officials who were over Solomon's work, 550, who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built the millow. Now, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which, sorry, that was before the Lord, so he finished the temple. King Solomon also built a fleet of ships, and Ezion Geber, which is near Elath, on the shores of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. Then Haram sent his servants with the fleet, seamen who knew the sea, to work with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon. Chapter 10. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones, 
And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such an abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Also, the ships of Haram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almig wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of the almig wood up for the house of the Lord and for the king forever. Also harps and string instruments for the singers there never again came almig wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. Now Solomon gave the Queen Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to her royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. The way of the gold came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling of merchants, from the income of traders, from the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country, and King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps at the top of the throne, was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat, and two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. All the vessels of the house of the force of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Now, all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had one 
5,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common as Jerusalem as stone, as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as sycamores, which are in the lowland. Also, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Keva. The king's merchants brought them in Keva at, at the current price. Now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. But Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as his father, David. Then Solomon built a high place in Shemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. For the sake of your father, David, I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, whom I have chosen. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain that he had killed every male in Edom. Because for six months, Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. Goodness. That Hadad fled to go to Egypt. He and certain Edomites of his father's households. Sorry, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. And he arose from Midian and came to Paran. And they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave him 
as wife, the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Taphinus. Then the sister of Taphinus, or sorry, Taphinus, bore him Ginobath, his son, whom Taphinus weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Ginobath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my country. And Pharaoh said to him, what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, nothing, but do let me go anyway. God raised up another adversary against him, Rezon, the son of Eliada, who fled from his lord, Hedekazer, sorry, Hedadazer, king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders. And David killed those in Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon because of the trouble that Hadad caused. He abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zereda, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow who rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David as his father. The man Jeroboam was, might, was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him officer over the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now what happened at that time, that Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem and that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of the tribe of Israel because they have not yet forsaken me and worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments, as did his father David. Moreover, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, because I have made him a ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son, I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So I will take you. And you shall reign over all your heart's desire. You shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be. If you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight. 
to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you and I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the books of the acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Hmm. I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to take this opportunity just to share a few thoughts with you all. Good to see everybody. Good to see you all. I'm so glad we've been given this opportunity to connect and to spend time together in the reading of the word. As I've told you before, um, when we come together to read the word, we're not necessarily doing a Bible study. And even though I am planning on putting together Bible studies, this is more of a reflection, simply a thought. What is the Lord revealing concerning himself in his word? What is the Lord revealing concerning me? What is the Lord revealing concerning people? These are, these are three critical questions I think that we all can ask so that we can be aligned from a meditational posture to what the Lord is speaking to us. It is our method and our means by which we seek to hear from God in our time in the reading of the word. Hi, Theo. Good to see you. I'm reading this, and the one thing that really uh, sticks out to me as I'm reading this, this, this portion of Scripture today, since we're reading through 1 Kings now, is I'm reading about a man who's often celebrated for his gift But very few people talk about his demise. We, we, we celebrate his gift. Everybody, if anybody knows anything about Solomon, what we know about Solomon is that we knew that he was a wealthy man. And we knew that he was a wise man. And the scriptures tell us if we had read uh, through it, it tells us of just the mass, the, the, the wealth that he had amassed uh, in his time and in his reign. In 1 Kings chapter 11, it tells us that there was no one like him. Sorry, not in 11, chapter 10, that we read that, that, that the wealth that this man acquired, it surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. That was in verse 23. Surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Meaning, Solomon was the wealthiest man on the earth. He's the wealthiest man on the earth. He surpassed all the kings. Remember, all the wealthiest people in the world were the kings in that time. And yet he surpassed all the kings of the earth 
in riches and wisdom. We remember how Solomon began that initially he didn't even know if he would have the throne. And yet when he was a quiet, when, when Bathsheba interceded for him, he was given the throne. After he was given the throne, Solomon now takes the throne, but Solomon after purging who David told him to purge, felt that he just didn't have it. And so he prayed and told God, I'm just a little child, if you remember. And even though, and even after he told God, I'm just a little child, just a little man, it's not much in me. That in his humility, the scriptures tell us that he increased him in heart and in understanding, giving him wisdom. And his heart was enlarged as he gave him wisdom. He prayed not for riches. He prayed not for wealth. Solomon prayed and asked God for wisdom because he did not know how to administrate the mantle, the weight of what he was given. And God gave him wisdom. And if you remember from the reading that we read two days ago, I help people understand that wisdom is not a product of intelligence. There are many intelligent people who have no wisdom. Um, there are many brilliant people who have no wisdom. And yet you don't need to be the most intelligent person to be the wisest. Wisdom is a divine thing. Wisdom is not about what you read in books. Wisdom is what has been given to you and imparted upon you. And the scriptures tell us the mechanism by which he received wisdom, that he was enlarged in heart. That is that for you to truly have wisdom, your heart has to grow. Your heart must be larger. Your wisdom will not come out of, because if the wisdom comes out of the spirit of God, your wisdom is not going to come out of what you read in a book, but rather it's going to come out of the love of God that flows out of you that emanates to other people. If you want wisdom, you need to pray that the Lord will grow your heart. There's some of us today, if you'd allow me just to rant for a moment, but there are some of us today, the reason why we lack wisdom is because we have small hearts. The reason why we lack wisdom is because we have broken hearts. The reason why we lack wisdom is because there are many of us who have constricted our hearts and not allowed ourselves because of whatever has happened in our lives, whatever has, has transpired in our lives. Because of those things, we don't have the facility or the capacity to make constructive, wise decisions and to impart the understanding in other people simply because we're heartbroken we're heart hurt, we're heart shrunk, and because we're heart shrunk, heartbroken, and heart hurt, we can't apply our wisdom. Wisdom comes out of the largeness of our heart for those who are around us. People ask all the time, how can I gain more wisdom? The way you gain more wisdom is to love your neighbor. The more you love people, the more you truly care about people and love them, the more you receive this outpouring of wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit and that comes from God. We know Solomon for his wisdom and we see the mechanism by which he received that wisdom that Solomon, when he felt small, when he felt like nothing, 
when he felt like nobody, when he felt like he couldn't do what he was called to do. David handed him this kingdom and he just didn't know what to do with it. That in that moment, God gave him wisdom. But in that same, in that same moment, contemporaneously, he increased him in heart. Why does this matter? Why am I bringing this up? Next time, you, whenever you get a chance, go back and read the read and rants to know what the whole point of all this is, is that there's a promise that has been given to David of a messianic king. First Kings is about how that promise wouldn't be fulfilled through these kings. We read about Solomon and we know about the wisdom and we know how he acquired his wisdom, but we fail to learn about his downfall. And it's not to say that we need to mire Solomon and to discredit him for the gift that God has given him, but we have more to learn about his downfall than we have to learn about the wisdom he acquired. There's more that we have to learn about how Solomon failed, not in what he has been known for. Yes, 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 yes. This is, this is. Uh, this is a man who's been given incredible wisdom, so much wisdom that his wisdom led him to popularity and and led to prosperity and, and, and nations are coming to him. Kings are coming to him just to hear his words, just to hear his whole picture. But you're missing the whole point of the story of Solomon. The story of Solomon is not about how he achieved wisdom. The story of Solomon is how he was not the messianic king that was to come after David. Solomon was wise through the enlarged heart that the Lord gave him. And as he acquired his wealth, as he acquired his popularity, as he acquired prosperity, as he acquired fame, as he required, as all these things were coming to him, Solomon started to fall off. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to the life of a believer is success. One of the most dangerous things, let me say that one more time. One of the most dangerous things that can happen to the life of a believer, especially one who has been called and set aside and set apart by God, is success. Success is dangerous because success will have you thinking that you did this on your own. Success will have you thinking, if you have it for long enough, that you worked hard to get there. Success will have you thinking that somehow you are entitled to it. Success will have you thinking that somehow you get the credit for it. And maybe at the beginning of your success, you gave credit to those who were around you and even to God for what you had acquired and how you got to where you got to. But when you hold on to success for long enough, oh, it has a way of corrupting you as a way of drawing you away from God. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be successful, but if we're going to gain success, our success must be in the Lord. In the moment that you begin to see 
a little bit of, well, this is my ability and this is my talent and this is my gifting and this is my capacity that has opened these doors and gotten me to where I am, you are inviting the corrosion of your life with Jesus Christ. Success should scare every believer because success is one of the things, if not one of the primary things that will draw you away from God and draw you towards yourself and inflate yourself to make you think that you're the one who got yourself there. No, no, your success cannot be in your capacity or your ability or your creativity, but the creativity of God through you. And the moment you disconnect from that, your your whole relationship with God gets eroded, gets eroded. I read this text and it's easy to, to celebrate Solomon's success, but we didn't see what success did to him. We didn't see what success did to this man. This man started off as a little child. He came before God as a little child. He came, he came before God like, God, I'm just, I don't know what to do. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to to manage and administrate all of this. This is this is a lot and I don't know the right decisions to make and I'm not sure. Solomon went from I'm not sure about what to do and in that moment of weakness and in that moment of smallness Solomon was closest to God. Solomon was closest to God in the time that he felt small. And notice at the end of this reading, Solomon is furthest from God in the time that he felt big. The story of Solomon is actually a tragedy. I want to make sure you understand this because When we read these stories about these characters in the Bible, we have a tendency to make them heroes and we have a tendency to, um, you know, to celebrate them as these, these guys who are they about that life? And this is who I want to be like. I want to be like Solomon. We have a tendency to celebrate these men in the scriptures but we fail to hear the story and what the story is really about. This is not about a celebration of Solomon. This is about the tragedy of Solomon. This is a tragedy. What we just read just now is a tragedy. This man started off good. When he was small, he was he started off good and then he was blessed and the Lord blessed him and blessed him and blessed him and blessed him. And then by, by chapter 10, he surpassed all the kings in riches and wisdom. And now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. That's what we just read, which God had put in his heart. This is not his wisdom. This is the wisdom that God put in his heart. It was God that got the credit for this wisdom. It wasn't him that got the credit for his wisdom. And yet the wisdom that God put in his heart gave him popularity, prosperity, power. And people would come and give tribute to him. Solomon, he's made it. 
Solomon's made it. But the problem is, is that Solomon got a little too big for himself. I know the story doesn't end well because we just read it. We just read it. Chapter 11. It was through this pride, this puffing up, and this believing that it's all about him. And he did this, and this is what he, this is how he got to where he got to. And, and now Solomon's heart has turned away from God. Remember what the Lord told Solomon from the beginning. The Lord told Solomon, yes, 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 God, absolutely. The story repeats itself over and over again. We're seeing this repetitive pattern, and we're going to see it all throughout Kings. First Kings and Second Kings. By the way, uh, side note, First Kings and Second Kings was actually split in the Bible, but uh, the, the, the two books were originally just one book. Just It was just called Kings, and we broke up the two books. And... Uh, Again, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do that in a Bible study. Who knows? Um, why the two books were broken up in the way that they were broken up or split in the way that they were split. Um, but for now, at least we're, we're here and we're reading about the kings. These weren't men to celebrate. But more specifically, remember what was promised to David. And I'm going to keep going back to it in Second Samuel chapter 7. In Second Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to David prophetically about a king that would come from his lineage, his line, and that this king would be the one that would bring righteousness and justice to all the earth. And so kings, the book of kings, first and second kings, is about this whole line of kings that come after David, and it's none of them. It's not those kings. <laughs> the book of Kings is actually about it not being those kings and why it wasn't those kings and why those kings didn't work. And yet, even in that story, God is still initiating his thread through all their sinfulness and brokenness. We'll get there eventually. But we get to chapter 11, and after it speaks about all his success, it says, But Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. I don't have enough time to go through all of it, but this is what we know. We know that he had 700 wives. We know that he had 300 concubines. Solomon would marry women, some because he just loved them and others because he was joining, he was, he was creating alliances with the other nations, the other surrounding nations. And so Solomon would marry them and marry them and marry them. Notice that it's the multiplicity of the marriages of Solomon that begin to mark his decline. Imagine that, right? Um, 
it is we're talking about no no it's not just 1000 women it's it's more than 1000 women because the verse says he had 700 wives he had princesses and 300 concubines <laughs> so he had he had over a thousand women the fall of every great leader. Thank you, babe. The fall of every great leader. Monies and honeys. <laughs> monies and honeys. <laughs> and yet this is true. Actually, I'm going to name this episode Monies and Honeys. That's what I'm going to name this episode on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the podcast. We talk about Solomon. I've had people come to me and say, well, the Bible tells us that Solomon had all these wives. Yeah, it did. And how did it end for him? <laughs> well, the Bible, because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's permitted. Because in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. Because in the Bible, how many things do we see in the Bible? We see murder in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. We see adultery in the Bible doesn't mean it's right. Yes. We see, we, 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 we see all these things in the Bible. It doesn't mean it's right. We see slavery in the Bible. Does it mean it's right? I love when people say that. Well, we see slavery. There's slavery in the Bible. Well, yeah, there's slavery in the Bible. Doesn't mean that the Bible condoned it. It's in it. And yes, we're learning something here. Because this man who has acquired all these wives... Notice that it is, it is in his acquisition of all these wives that marked his decline. So actually, you shouldn't see that the scripture is saying it's permitted. The scripture is telling you in wisdom, this is what begins anyone's downfall. Success. Women. Money. Popularity. I'm going to say this because I know um, it's just in my heart, but we need to pray for those who are who have platforms. We need to pray for those who are in power. We need to pray for those who have any form of success, particularly for those who carry the banner of Jesus Christ. I've seen over and over and over again how success has drawn people away who were near God away from him. Monies and honeys. And so Solomon marries these multi this multiplicity of wives and he has a multiplicity of concubines. And then he takes on their own gods. He begins to worship their gods. Can I just do a little side note on that? For those of you who are trying to understand what's happening here, because this whole idea of, um, well, well, you know, Solomon was worshiping these gods and this is worship of the God. You have to understand what's happening here. Every nation had a God that governed them. These gods were not just the statues, but what they represented. They were spirits that governed the nations. Certain nations were governed by sexuality. Other nations were governed by power. Some nations were governed by violence. Other nations were governed by, by um, economic influence. Some nations were governed. So, 
So we, when we talk about um, when, we, when, we, when we talk about the worship of idols, you have to understand that in him bringing the idols to Israel, he's inviting those same spirits and those same principalities to govern the nation of Israel. It's not, uh, I know we like to use the term false gods, and yes, they are false gods, but they're not false gods. Can I just do a little quick teaching real quick? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just going to do a little quick teaching because sometimes we're going to be seeing this all over in First Kings, so I just want to make sure everybody understands what idol worship is and the worship of gods. Um, um, oh, man, this is going to be, okay, this might throw some people off for a little bit, but I, I need to actually help you understand this because we make this something that's not happening today. And so we find ourselves separating ourselves from what we see in the text. But what's happening in the text is what's happening today. And I have to I have to give understanding to this. When we talk about the, the, the worship of idols, you have to understand in those days, they did not worship the statue. Okay. The statue is a false so we like to use the term false God or false, but this is not what we're talking about here. The statue is not what they're worshiping. What they're worshiping is what the statue points to. What they're worshiping is what the statue embodies. There was an embodiment of a spirit that governed them, that they would worship so that that spirit would embody them and influence them. This is why they worshiped. The idol pointed them and connected them to a deeper spirituality. Are y'all with me so far? And so when we talk about the worship of gods, the word gods in that text is Elohim. The worship of Elohim. The word Elohim literally means gods or gods. It's plural. El is God. Elohim is God in plural form. Why am I bringing this up? I think I taught this when I was teaching Genesis. When, when, when he says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And God said, the word God, there is Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's not God that created the heaven and the earth. It's Elohim created the heaven and the earth. And so the Elohim represent the representatives of God in the spirit realm. And so there are Elohim, which are a multiplicity of gods. Okay. These were a multiplicity of spiritual beings. Because sometimes I've heard it taught that the Elohim is the Trinity. No, it's not to say there isn't a Trinity. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Elohim are not the Trinity. The Trinity is part of the Elohim. Among the Elohim is El Elyon, who we know as Yahweh or Jehovah, who is the God who is above all. And in Yahweh is the Godhead, and the Godhead is fully existent in Jesus Christ. Now, among the Elohim are those who separated from God. Now, how do we know that? We're going to read it when we eventually get to the book of Psalms, that among the Elohim are those who separated from God. Satan or Lucifer was among, not Satan, sorry, but Lucifer was among the Elohim. And he left the Elohim to become the angel of light or Lucifer from the, from the angel of light to now being what we know as the devil. Among the Elohim were the demons that also left as well. There are spirit beings, and maybe we have to understand the spiritual realm. I know people get uncomfortable when they say, wait, you're telling me that Satan 
or the devil was was an Elohim. He was an Elohim. We were the ones who separated it. We read the Bible and we put all these theologies on the Bible, which the Bible never said. Okay, um, among the Elohim is the Creator God, who then says to all the Elohim, "Let us make man in our image." Why am I bringing all that up? I'm bringing all that up because I want you to understand that while God is a government in the spiritual realm. There is also an evil realm in the Elohim. There is an evil realm, what we call the principalities. We call them the powers. There are principalities that govern regions. There are principalities that govern areas. There are principalities. And so there are, and there are also principalities that govern nations. You will find nations that are characterized by a certain principality. You'll find certain nations that are governed by certain ideology. You'll find certain nations that are governed by certain things. Again, I have to do a Bible study on that because we're not, that's not the whole purpose of this. All I'm saying to you is you need to understand what they mean in the scripture when they say false or when they say that he has brought in gods, he has brought in other influences, and these other influences and principalities in worshiping them now begin to govern the nation of Israel. Each of those gods that we see mentioned here, they represent a principality. They represent um, um, they represent a, a countenance, Ashtoreth, Milcom. They each represent, this is where you, you need to study these things. So, we, so when you understand that, then you understand why God is so jealous of these gods and why God does not tolerate the worship of these gods. The reason why God does not tolerate the worship of these gods, because to worship, not like how we do, or worshiping is just simply bowing down to something or or raising up our hands and, and singing to those things. That's not what God saw worship as. Worship is when that very thing governs you. The word worship is coincided with the word governance. When you worship something, it governs you. It governs you. Let me say that one more time. That's why when people say, well, I worship Jesus. How can you say you worship Jesus when Jesus doesn't govern you? Just because you go to church and because you sing a slow song and because you get all emotional and your tears come out and you feel all this emotion, it does not mean you're worshiping God. It means you're singing a song and you're experiencing a lot of emotion in the singing of a song. Worship requires submission and acknowledgement of lordship over your life. To say that you are worshiping God is literally to say that God governs your life. He governs you. He governs your decisions. He's the one who guides you and leads you. You don't live by anything else, but you live by that very thing. So a lot of people need to re revisit what it even means to worship in the first place. And so when we talk about the worship of these gods, I'm sorry if I get a little passionate about this because we often read this wrong, but when we talk about the worship of these gods, what we're talking about literally is the governing of these gods over that particular people. They have submitted to the sexuality, to the power, to the influence. They have submitted to all these things because worship is not just something they did in the temple and, you know, bowed down to it. And, oh my God, God is jealous about that. No, that's not what God's jealous about. God knows what's happening in the realm of the spirit and he knows now that they have chosen to be influenced by those things. If you have discernment, you can go into a region and know what spirit governs it. You go to New York and you see what governs it. 
You see a principality over it. You go to Amsterdam, you'll see a principality over it. You go to London, you'll see principalities over it. You go to Miami, you'll see principalities over it. You go to Nigeria, you'll see a principality. You will see it because you will see a spirit. People think about spirit as well. They think about they think about spirits as something that is mystical. A spirit is not this mystical thing. A spirit is actually literally a system of thinking. It's an intelligent system of thinking i'm ranting i'm sorry i'm ranting um, um and, and so when you when we talk about worship you have to understand we're allowing a certain intelligence and system of thinking govern us yes we over spiritualize things and it becomes it begins to sound confusing it confuses us. And so now, because we're all confused about it, we're thinking like spirit. We're thinking like demons and, and all these things. Those are spiritual. Demons are spiritual. Spirits are systems. Okay? Spirits are systemic and intelligent. They're intelligent systems. That's what a spirit is. That's why he says he didn't give us the spirit of fear because the spirit of fear is an intelligent system. Why am I bringing all this up? Because we see Solomon now inviting these systems into God's system. When God had called Solomon in the nation of Israel to be separate to operate on only one system and that's his divine system. He set them apart as chosen people to operate under his righteousness and justice, not on power, not on money, not on sexuality, not on, you can name them. There are systems, not on pride, not on, and now these spirits are now governing Solomon, this is what success does. And God is upset. And verse six says, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord as did his father, David. Solomon now doesn't look like an Israelite king anymore because he is not being governed by the spirit of God. You understand the spirit of God is a intelligent system. <laughs> he is not governed by the intelligence system of God. He is not governed by God's law and God's heart and God's spirit. Now he is being governed by the spirits that he has brought in through the worship of the idols that he has invited, the gods that he invited into his kingdom. How do we know that? Because Solomon is breaking almost every divine royal law. Not only is Solomon marrying with these women who actually don't believe in the God that he believes in. Not only does Solomon do that, but Solomon also notice what's, what's happening here. Solomon is amassing all this wealth. He's amassing all this wealth, but has he even looked to see the well-being of the children of Israel, of the people of Israel? Not only has Solomon amassed all this wealth, he has now created alliances and allegiances with nations that are going to bring Israel under compromise 
He's actually compromising Israel. We're going to see this later on in the text, that some of those partnerships and those allegiances that he created are the very allegiances that are going to destroy the nation of Israel. Solomon is not operating for the benefit and the welfare of the nation of Israel. Monies and honeys. Solomon now is building an empire. And he's building an empire off of what? The backs of slaves. The backs of slaves. Solomon looks just like all the other kings. He looks like Pharaoh now. He looks like the Canaanite kings. He looks like he looks like he looks like all of them. Solomon has lost it. And the Lord says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He has submitted to the sexuality, to the power, to the money, to the systems. And he ends the scripture, and we're going to read tomorrow, but he ends the scripture to tell Solomon, because of your disobedience to my law, because of your disobedience to me, Israel is going to be split and you're going to lose this nation, but it won't be you. It'll be your son. Sorry, not tomorrow on Monday. He says, it's going to be your son. Solomon has been disqualified, but he makes a promise and he says, because of the promise on David, the one tribe you will keep is Judah. I need you to keep Judah. <laughs> the one tribe that you're going to hold on to is Judah, but you're going to lose the other 10 up north. I need you to hold on to Judah because the promise is going to come from Judah. The promise is going to come from David because I made a promise to David out of him will come the messianic king. And so, you know what, Solomon? Hold on to Judah, but you're going to lose all the other ones up north. Notice what's happening here is even in Solomon's sin and his error and his brokenness, God is still working out his story through him because it was never about Solomon. It was about the glory of Christ. So today, for those of you who are experiencing success, be wary of your success. For those of you who have a whole bunch of followers on IG or on, or on TikTok and, and you're seeing all this monetary success, be wary of your success. What idols are you inviting or do you in your success give credit to God and stay small, stay small. Always stay small. Don't ever get big because the moment you get big, you'll fall to the same demise as our brother Solomon. Father, I just ask today, Lord, that you would teach us. Teach us to be humble. Lord, to have humility. To know that without you, we can do nothing. Father, I ask that you would teach us to submit to you. Lord God, to, to stay small in, in self, but large in heart. 
to love those as we would love ourselves, but to also never be so big headed that we would give ourselves any kind of credit for what you have done in our lives. Father, bless us, Lord, today. Lord, for those of us who are Lord, on the precipice of success, who are on the cusp of success, who may already be achieving and acquiring success, Father, convict us today of the spirits that govern us. Convict us today of the gods that we are being governed by. Father, break those idols in our lives, Lord God, that we would be submitted entirely to you, that all that you've given to us can be used for your glory and your glory alone. Father, you are pouring out, Lord, abundance and grace and mercy. And Father, I just pray that you would guide us, guide us. Uh, because, Lord, we know, Lord, that you are bursting forth new ideology, new mindset, new creativity for your glory. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Family, God bless you guys. By the way, I've been so encouraged by all of you, your words of encouragement. Thank you for encouraging me. I know a lot of you have texted me. I know I have my text number on um, on the platform, but a lot of you have have, have, have texted me and I'm, I'm really encouraged by that um, with words of encouragement. Some of you guys have sent me a prophetic word. I am encouraged by that, DMing me or, or texting me. Thank you so much. God bless you all. Um, also, I want to thank all my patrons, all of you. We got, I think we got seven new patrons yesterday. Um, guys, thank you so much. We're getting closer and closer to our goal of having Bible study every week. If you're, if you're interested in becoming a patron, it's $10 a month. I know that doesn't seem like a big deal. Okay. I know some of you are giving more than $10. God bless you for that. But it's $10 a month. $10 is a big deal. Okay. It's a big deal. It makes a big difference. It means the world to me as we're coming together right now to begin to plan and to ideate for the next season of our ministry moving forward. So for those of you who are supporting through Patreon, thank you. Thank you so much. I will be posting this on Patreon right after this, um, but it will be available on the Read and Rant podcast in probably another month and a half or so. Um, but I want you guys to know, guys, God bless you all. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. And I'm, I'm, I'm even more encouraged by the number of you guys who have said that this has been a blessing to you.